With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to Turf Show Radio. With the first pick in the 2016 NFL Draft, the Los Angeles Rams select Jared Goff, quarterback, California. Thousand yards on the front in his rookie season. And now, here's your host. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to an all know Turf Show Times Radio. I am your host, Josh Webb. I am pleased to be joined once again by my cohort, by the devil, to my angel on the shoulder. Mr. Joe McAtee. Joe, how you doing? Mr. The Rams are at two and one. Hi. Wow. Let that sink in. Well, you gotta, sometimes you got to let them, you got to do a muted intro, man. Um, you know, the, the, the Rams are two and one. That's a, that's a high kind of intro. That's not a, uh, that's, well, that's not what I'm used to. I, I don't have anything prepared for two and one, Josh. I haven't done this before. This is true. And I feel like in what's becoming a, re, uh, a weekly ritual, the Lost Podcast contains so much good conversation about how the Rams are 2-1 and one, and so, so much quality game recap that you guys will never get to hear. So we're going to briefly skip right over all that crap we covered on Tuesday and moving forward, we are investing into some other equipment that will, uh, you know, prevent uh, this from happening again, unless any one of our listeners wants to volunteer to be our audio engineer and we'll pay you in plaudits and thanks and maybe I think some that's a great stuff. idea. And followers. We'll try and throw as many followers your way as humanly possible. Uh,. So what I want to do is I want to recap very quickly the Rams' 37-32 to 32 victory over the Bucks. So, Joe, the first question I'm going to ask you is, last week the Rams beat Seattle in a game that would have put anybody who doesn't love SEC football or Big Ten football to sleep. Uh, or this, yet this week... They would have qualified for Pac-12 after dark if you go by NFL scores because you're not going to see 70-point games in the NFL. Ain't going to happen. 
So this is sort of NFL scoring version of like a 60 to 50 game in college. Uh, what do you make of it, ma'am? Uh, it was a maction. Let, let, I know you're a Pac-12 guy, but let's pay allegiance to where it's due. This was a maction game. Um, 69 points. Very nice. Nice. Um, I don't make a th- I don't make a ton of it. You know, we've gotten three games for the 2016 Los Angeles Rams thus far, and we've gotten three different Los Angeles Rams performances. You had a week one game where the defense wasn't uh, what's the right word prepared or um, uh, it, 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 things weren't allocated where they needed to be, whether it's Cody Sensabaugh or the defensive line rotation or the linebacker safety you know, integration that had changed after week one, things weren't right uh, against a 49ers team where you had a cushion to get things right. And I, I don't mean to be mean to San Francisco fans, but let's be real. The, the 2016 San Francisco 49ers are not the toughest team the Rams are going to face. And yet they blew us out 28 to nothing. Week two uh, against Seattle, you get, you get a little bit better on the defensive front. You make that switch from Cody Sensabaugh to Troy Hill mid-game. You start to experiment with the Josh Forrest, Cody Davis uh, integration between Josh Forrest, a rookie linebacker, Cody Davis, the veteran safety. Things go really well on, this, on the defensive side. Obviously, you're dealing with the injured quarterback in Russell Wilson. And because the offense isn't able to get a ton, the defense has to step up in a bigger way, and they got that done. Week three um, – I think the the good the best thing that happened was the Rams took a, a advantage of all of their opportunities on offense. There weren't a ton of them. You know, we talk about soccer a lot. It's a, it's like chances created. When you don't when you don't create a lot of chances, you're not going to put a lot of points on the board in soccer. You can't do that in football outside of field goals unless you give yourself chances. The Rams had a couple chances and they took full advantage of them. One touchdown on defense, almost a handful on offense. That's not the kind of game that you're going to get used to from the 2016 Los Angeles Rams. So the benefit to them was that they took full advantage. That that's not the norm. And so, you know, it's great to get a win like that, especially in a game where you give up an ugly pick six from Case Keenum. You have perfect special teams. Well, their kicker, Roberto Aguayo, uh, you know, one of the most heralded rookie kickers in recent memory is struggling. If I if I had to pick a college, if I had to pick a college guy getting drafted that I thought would not have a problem. I mean, we've all seen Roberto Aguayo at, at, at Florida State, and like everybody's like, "Yeah, this guy's gonna have no problem in the NFL." Oops. Sure. Um, but beyond that, you know, you talked a little bit about the defense. Now, though, what say you about the offense? Because Case Keenum had that ugly pick six, but he also bounced right back, and. Sure. Uh, you know, the, the the Rams managed to win this game. So where do you come down on the Rams' offense after this game? Or with the erratic play of the Rams, is it too impossible to really tell right now what's what? Do we not know what version of the Rams it we're really getting? So I, th- I think it's that we don't know, but that's by design. It's an all-or-nothing design. And when you get nothing, you get the first two weeks. And when you get all of it, you get uh, – uh, to be fair, and I don't mean this in a bad way. I just mean it to be realistic. You get a lot of nothing. If you take away the two best passes that Case Keenum had all night, you got, what, 27, I think, attempts for 100 yards? That's a lot of nothing. 
right? I mean, that that's just that's just not a lot of functional passing game football. But when you throw the the late forty three yard touchdown to Tavon Austin and the early forty four yarder to Brian Quick, that makes the stats look a hell of a lot better, especially when you tag two touchdowns on. But but in terms of a sixty minute game, that's not the kind of a passing offense that's going to be able to change the the strategy of a football game. So when you're all or nothing. If you hit the all, is still less than 200 yards. You know, that's that's not a lot of all. And we, we saw what the nothing looked like the first two weeks. And so, you know, did we learn what kind of offense the Rams are? Yeah, but only because we, we defined the two extremities. And the, we, everybody knows that the extremity on the negative side for every team is going to be ugly. The problem for the Rams is that the extremity on the positive side isn't very good either. <laughs> And what I want to know in, in, in particular, and I guess this segues... What I want to know is what horror, what, what horror house are you living in? What was the squeaky door and the, 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 the aluminum foil that was getting crinkled? What kind of a Halloween haunted house are you setting up there, John? My girlfriend, my girlfriend was looking through because there's a bunch of DIY stuff that's. There. I heard, I heard um, a scream in the back. Uh, ah, he stabbed me! There, ah. There's a bunch of DIY stuff that's done in this house as cosplay, and so my girlfriend was like, "Dead in a yurt? Oh no! 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 Dead in a yard! Dead in a yard! We go Vlad the Impaler status and put our our victims' heads on spikes." Um, it's, it's October now. You got to play up the Halloween, uh, Halloween and pumpkin spice. We got to come up with a pumpkin spice angle for Trisha Radio. We do, pumpkin. we do. Yes. Actually, you know what? We need to offer a Trisha Radio pumpkin spice latte. <laughs> I don't, I don't know what that means, but I agree. We need to do. I it. don't even know how we do it, but we need to do it. All right. So all of this brings me to the question that I had, which. You know, it comes from our listener questions, and by God, did our listeners do a job for us today. We have 12. guys. 12. So uh, what I tend to find when you do listener questions is if you do them at the end of the podcast, you wind up with a whole bunch of questions that people kind of got answered throughout the course of the podcast. But I feel like it always feels better when your direct question is answered. So as we're talking about stuff, I'm going to throw in listener questions. So that way, their questions are being answered whilst we're covering the conversation uh, at hand. So you mentioned Keenum Century, Mark, off off his, uh, his passes. And it's kind of become clear that as much faith as, as uh, Jeff Fisher seems to have in Case Keenum, Case Keenum does not have it himself. Uh, and Mr. Matt Soto wants to know, how soon do you think it will be before we see Goff? That, here's what I'd say. That's, the, that's pretty much right now the number one question. I do... Probably one to three radio or podcast hits for other media platforms a week. And the first question they have is, why isn't Goff starting and when is he going to start? And I, at, at the, 
fact that the Rams have gotten here, that they're 2-1, and one, that Goff's still not starting, despite the fact that Case Keenum is throwing less than 200 yards a game or whatever. Whatever he's throwing, it's not world-beating. It's not It's not the kind of numbers that you'd say, oh, well, that's why Jared Goff's not starting. Uh, I don't have an answer, man. I don't. I mean, there, there's no there's no reason to think that if if this is if these are the conditions that the Rams are going to operate in all year, where you lose a game like San Francisco, you win an ugly game like Seattle. Obviously, we won two back to back, so that colors things differently. But you know, if we lose this game against Arizona, win at home against Buffalo, lose, win, lose, win, and, and kind of get stuck in that same mediocre rut for the Rams. I, I don't know what's going to motivate Jeff Fisher to make a change. And the the, the major thing, the, the more important thing is, I don't know what Jared Goff would be doing any differently than Case Keenum right now. I mean, you you look at the offense, What what is it that Case Keenum's not doing that's available? Is there is there really anybody to throw to downfield? It's not like we're talking right. – you're not talking about an offense with a huge unless, stable – Unless account. Jared Goff can throw the ball so high that he himself can run under it. Can run catch. under it. <laughs> I get, that's true. I haven't considered it. But who is Jared Goff going to throw to? Kenny Britt and – Bradley Marquez and Brian Quick and obviously whatever Tavon Austin offers underneath. Okay, that, is that is hold that, that the wide receiver group you want to throw a rookie quarterback to? Hold that thought though. So Daniel Matola wants to know who will become inactive once Cooper and Spruce are activated. Marquez, Quick, anybody who's currently a receiver for the Rams. I threw that last one in. <laughs> And, and, and it's a fair question. I mean, who the hell knows? Um, Nelson Spruce got shut down after week one in the preseason. Uh, so so who knows? I mean, obviously the main two culprits you're going to look at are Bradley Marquez and Mike Thomas. You assume that they're at the bottom of the depth chart for the wide receivers. But here's the question I'd ask is, when, when we talk about Farrow Cooper and, and Nelson Spruce, remember that we're talking about a fourth-round rookie and an undrafted rookie. So... The impact that you're looking for isn't – I get it that because the standards are so low for the Rams that we're expecting these guys to come in and have you know, an overwhelming impact and, oh, these are the missing components. People were saying the same thing about Tyler Higby throughout training camp about how good he looked and the fact that, oh, look at Tyler Higby. He's making these great I plays. I may or may not have been one of those. It's not, it's not just you. You're – this isn't something you have to apologize for. There, you know, everybody said that. No, and, and I'm yet not here, apologizing I'm, for it. I'm not, owning it. But, but that's what, that's what I'm saying is we should all own it. it. It was it was a this is something we need to collectively own because he did look good, and yet through the first three games, what has Tyler Higby produced? And it, maybe it's not his fault. This is just the nature of the system of Fisher Bowl. Is that what what you see in practice? Fart yeah. Well, eating a value meal at Taco Bell. <laughs> Maybe that, that's one way to put it. But, you know, when you're talking about Farrell Cooper and Nelson Spruce, a fourth-round and undrafted rookie, how much room is there for those guys to produce? Look at Brian Quick, who cut, caught a 44-yard touchdown last week, and obviously is the, the recency bias is going to color how people, you know, factor him into their analysis going into this game. This is a player who for the first four years in his career didn't do much. He had one year where he started off really well, but this is a former second-round pick that had plenty of time to develop into an NFL player. It just really isn't happening unless we see something unbelievable in year five. 
is there's a, there's no reason, and it's not anything about Pharaoh Cooper or Nelson Spruce. There's no reason to believe that those guys are going to come in and put up crazy numbers uh, in week one, let alone in year one. Is he the Theo Walcott of the Rams? I need a time check. Let's see. I I, I did name drop it first, but I think I think you went ten minutes, maybe less, uh, before the first uh, soccer mention. So I give you credit. Um, I don't. I don't know. I, I, there's a lot of Theo Walcotts on the Rams. The, 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 here's the problem: is that to Arsenal, where, where the Theo Walcott was maybe, and not necessarily maybe an anomaly. Uh, Arsenal's the anomaly too, compared to the Rams. But the Rams have had the youngest team in the league for, you know, Jeff Fisher's tenure. Jeff Fisher's tenure with the Rams has allowed him to have the youngest team in the league every year. So you get a lot of guys that come in that are supposed to be, oh, this is the guy that changes everything. Um, and, I, I, you know, if, if there's if there's one guy to point to that it should be, it's not Farrell Cooper or Tyler Higby or Nelson Spruce. It should be Jared Goff. When you trade up for a number one overall pick, the guy that you should be looking to to change the entire fortunes of your franchise is a brand-new rookie quarterback that you traded the future for. And that seems reasonably fair. So the last thing that I'm going to ask you about this week's game, and or this uh, past week's game, and then we're going to move on, is I want to talk about something that you briefly mentioned, but we damn near took out an ad, a full front page ad to pay homage to their seasonal performance, and that is the special teams unit. You cannot say enough about the special teams unit for the Rams, but I'm going to let you say more than enough. Start talking and just... Don't stop until I tell you, man, because there's not enough good th- not enough good things you can say. Why why is why has this well, unit gotten off to such an amazing start? And it's not just why, it's why is this same the same unit, a unit that has struggled in recent years, gotten off to a great start. So here's what I'd say. You gotta start with the specialists. You got Johnny Hecker and Greg Zerline. Everybody knows Johnny Hecker, Pro Bowl caliber punter, uh highest contract in the history of the nfl and and to his credit is is earning it right and and maybe what's what's the right there's a there's a level of hyperbole here that's acceptable and a level hyperbole that's hyperbole hyperbole here's what i'd say that johnny hecker having gotten the greatest contract in the history of punters in the nfl is making it seem like that's okay and that's that in and of itself is a huge accomplishment as for greg zerline there were plenty of people, and uh, I wasn't one of them, but they, they, there were people who, whose opinions I respect very much who said Greg Zerline had no reason to be on this team in 2016. And if you go by his performance last year, there's no way to argue that. Greg Zerline missed a lot of not just kicks, but very easy kicks. In, in succession, in games where it matters. But why why that, is it that punters have one bad season and they should be fired, whereas defensive ends, who are arguably far more critical to the success of the team in an overall season, can have a down year, and it's all, oh, he'll have a down year, he'll bounce back. Why is the frustration to fire a special teams player? I think it's because replaceability. You, I think. I think the the conventional wisdom is that you can find a kicker, you can find a punter to get you through a season. Look, that name the kickers and punters from the last three Super Bowl winners. Ninety nine percent of NFL fans would struggle to do that. But if you ask who the defensive end was last year, most people remember Von Miller, 
got the MVP, and you know, most people remember those those players. And it's just a it's a position that if I'm making the argument to you that it's easier to fill. If if I'm making the devil's advocate to that, the argument for the devil's advocate, it's that the punter position and especially the kicker position matter much more under fishable. And so when, when you don't have premier punting and kicking skills under fishable, it, it magnifies the effect of that. And so when Greg Zerline misses a kick in another system on another team, which obviously has never happened, but hypothetically on some other team, maybe they win games in spite of their kicker's faults. The the same way that maybe you saw Tampa Bay struggling with Roberto Aguayo, they had a chance to win that game. The Rams don't really get that. In games where Greg Zerline struggles, and imagine Greg Zerline struggling the last uh, this last game, things look completely different. That would have been Tampa Bay kicking a field goal to win the game. That, that doesn't happen with the Rams. So they need Greg Zerline and Johnny Hecker maybe to be almost perfect just to compete. And, and that's a high standard. But what you're talking about with defensive ends, that's the, that's the conventional uh, standard applied to defensive ends across the league. Uh, what's strange is that the Rams get those kind of performance out of those defensive ends, but maybe require more out of the special teams guys. All right, so I'm going to ask a couple of listener questions from uh, last week's game, but uh, my portion of it is all complete. What Corey wants to know, and I don't see this going well for you, Corey, but what Corey wants to know <laughs> is after the, the last week's game against the Bucks, would you say that the offense is showing signs of improvement Okay, so here's what I'd say. I'd say he got the verb tense wrong. The offense did absolutely show signs of improvement. There's no, there's no doubt. They they took advantage of opportunities. They got two long touchdowns, one to Brian Quick over the top of a, a safety de- designation that was clearly installed to pinch down on Todd Gurley, and that gave Case Keenum an opportunity to find Brian Quick over the top. Uh, and got a nice late pass to Tavon Austin in one-on-one coverage where he was able to make a reception, beat the coverage, and there was no help to stop him from getting into the end zone. And that, uh, you know, ha- along with a couple decent Todd Gurley runs, we, we still haven't seen the best from Todd Gurley yet. What was it, 27 runs for 89 yards? That's not that's not the Todd Gurley that we were sold. Um, and that's not, the, that's not the Todd Gurley that we know he can be. But when you couple those together – compared to the first two weeks where we didn't score a touchdown, that was an improvement. It was. The offense did show. The question, the problem is, if you say that the offense is showing, that kind of extends that into week four. And for a Rams team that's going to Arizona, that's going to face a very motivated one and two Arizona team at home, the same way they were facing, a, the same way the Cardinals were facing an ONT Bills, an ONT two Bills team at home, um, you know, the, the 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 cards are stacked against the Rams offense this week, and and no pun intended. That was a horrible way to put it because that was a shitty pun. That that the chances uh, are stacked. Oh no, they got a they got chance cans are. There's no, there's almost nobody left on the cards that I can't not make a pun against. It look it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough for the Rams. Do they have a player named Tough? If they do, that's not my fault because I, I I can't think of anybody on the Cardinals roster named Tough. So you would say that the Rams' winning streak is Dunsby. I I would, and I said that, that in the that was a, that that was a crappy pun. <laughs> 
<laughs> Good stuff. Well done, Josh. Well done. Um, Thank you. Here's what I here's here's what I'd say. It's the the Rams' offense isn't great. They were the worst off. They were ranked 32nd in the league last year, and this is the same offense that they brought back. Um, the the what we've seen in week two is that they can win games with defense. What we've seen in week three is that we can win games when we take advantage of rare opportunities and the other team is screwing up. I think the problem is the Cardinals are too well coached of a team to give the kind of mistakes that the Buccaneers made in week three. Uh, and, and, you know, assuming that a Roberto Aguayo performance is not going to be the norm moving forward. And, and more importantly, that the Rams aren't going to take advantage of their opportunities. Remember, you're talking about two 40 yard passes that went for touchdowns and two one yard touchdown runs from Todd Gurley to punch it in. You just don't get those opportunities very often in this offense. And because they all came in one game, yeah, it looks explosive. But if you spread that over more games, it looks a hell of a lot different. And because it hasn't. Uh, I'm more skeptical than I am confident. How about that? Okay, that's fair enough. I can accept that. Now, I had some topics of discussion for this week, uh, and I think I did ask you one of them, especially with regard to do you feel more confident about the Rams having ways to win, uh, having uh, played a 3-9 and nine game and then their version of a shootout. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to start asking some listener questions because, honestly, I think that they, they're going to cover just about almost everything we have and whatever they well, do, we will. Hey, we do it okay. for the listeners, man. Okay, so Manny wants to know over or under three turnovers for the Rams' defense. Oh. That's tough, and and that's tough because we've seen the Rams' defense terrorize the Arizona Cardinals' offense. Um, I'm I'm gonna say under only because Carson Palmer's under so much pressure, uh, and I don't I don't mean pressure from the Rams' defensive line. I mean pressure from uh, his team and the media and the conditions. You know, the the Cardinals being one and two and being at home and what he's gonna face. Uh, I, I think that I think the kind of performance that we see out of Carson Palmer is one somewhat similar to Jameis Winston last week. And and remember, Jameis Winston was coming off a four interception week and faced the Rams. And despite throwing for 400 yards, I know a lot of people threw that out as wow, he threw for 400 yards. Yeah, but he was throwing he was throwing for safe yardage, and that that's the kind of performance that I see coming from Carson Palmer. It's not that he's going to attack the sidelines; he's going to wait and he's going to be patient. Uh, and, and if the Rams don't score a bunch of points early, like they did uh, against Arizona, you know, 17 points in the first half, um, I, I think Carson Palmer, and we've seen this in years, uh, recent years, in recent performances, that Carson Palmer is going to put up the same kind of game as Jameis Winston. Attack the middle of the defense. Go after, you know, Alec Ogletree, Mark Barron in the passing game. And uh, guys underneath, you, you don't want to test the sidelines and, and the deep ball against the Rams because that's what they're schemed for. What they're giving you is this huge bubble in the middle of the field. They're that if basically you you giving that. you the, 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 the area between the two red zones. If you, if you look at the field as 20-80-20, you can have everything in the 80 area. But when you get down to the 20, then it's hitherto thou shalt come, but no further. And the thing is, if you're facing inexperienced quarterbacks or less talented quarterbacks or 
Uh, and Blaine Gabbert's a great example. I know it failed against Blaine Gabbert, but if you're if you're dealing with somebody who doesn't uh, play the field well, they can throw into really desperate situations, and that's what the entire defense is predicated upon. Especially when Greg Williams starts dialing up these blitzes. What failed against San Francisco in Week One was Blaine Gabbert scrambled out of them, and you're talking about Blaine Gabbert scrambling out of them. This isn't Russell Wilson or. Uh, you know, it'd be like Carson Palmer scrambling out of them. That's not something that you install into the game plan. Um, so when those guys start scrambling out, it disrupts the entire defensive scheme. As long as they don't, what you're saying is you can have four yards, five yards in the passing game. But what you get at the end of it is a physical finish, which your wide receivers are not going to enjoy for one quarter, let alone four. And as soon as you lack the discipline to stick with that and you start getting itchy and start wanting to work downfield, you're going to start risking worse outcomes, either interceptions or huge hits on the quarterback because your defensive pressure is getting there or other crazy things that that, that, that you don't want to deal with as an offense. That's what the Rams force you to deal with as a defense. You, you can have all these negative outcomes or you can you can do the classic Sam Bradford result. You can pass for four yards. If you want four yards, you can have it. Otherwise, the risk level is going to be high. And so, you know, over under in terms of turnovers, I'd say under. But I don't think that's a bad thing. That's not necessarily an insult to the Rams' defense. They don't need the turnovers to be successful. It's the threat of the plays that create turnovers that are going to be there. And I I don't see why that's going to change. All right, let's talk about some strengths before we get into a topic you love way too much. Uh, outside of the defensive line, what would you say is the Rams' strength at, the, at this moment? And I'm taking I'm special running. teams off the table. Sure, I'd take running back. I mean, Todd Gurley is a phenomenal individual talent. What a, what I've said for four years in it, coming out of the Steven Jackson era is that running backs can't do things on their own. They they have to operate within a system. This this isn't the old NFL when certain rules existed that allowed different teams to do certain things and when passing offenses were limited. In in the modern NFL, you gotta you gotta pass the ball. The the rules are too favorable. The conditions are too favorable. Defenses are no longer worried about the run. They're focused on the pass. And so, it, it, just like the Rams have showed for Todd Gurley in the first three games, if you don't get anything done in the pass, even with the rules favorable, that there's no reason to think that you're going to be able to get much done. And so, when you do that, defenses can just sit down, tighten up. And say, if you're not going over the top of us, we know everything's going to be in front of us. We know it's going to be Tavon Austin, Bradley Marquez, screen passes, dump passes, all that kind of stuff. And a huge, you know, series of runs. And so uh, because they do that, people say, well, it's not necessarily Todd Gurley's fault. And it's not. But the Rams got to do a better job of keeping them capable uh, uh, of making that a threat. And so... You know, when, when you ask me who's the biggest talent, it's Todd Gurley. I know some people would push back based on the box score and the production, but as an individual talent, a- after defensive line, there, there's nothing else to look at. The only other, <laughs> to be honest, the only other position you'd say is backup quarterback because we don't know what kind of a quantity they have in Jared Goff. But because we got the kind of 2015 season we got out of Todd Gurley, 
you got to throw that out there and say after the defensive line, he's probably the next best uh, position that the Rams have. That's completely fair. Uh, Hector wants to know, how would you say, or would you say that the Rams penalty issues, well, okay, I'm going to reword this. Are penalties still an issue for the Rams? <laughs> well, the original yeah. question was, would you say that the Rams penalty issues is still an issue? But I mean, yeah, sure. I, I was just trying to avoid the redundancy because it could be confusing. So, oh, do the Rams? Do the yeah, get Hector can Hector can <laughs> tell me I I'm a piece of crap. Uh, well, he can answer the question, right? No, yeah, that's fair. That's true. Uh, I, I so, but I'm just curious. Do do you think that their uh, penalty problem is it still an issue? Do you think they have it tempered? Are they about average with the league? I know you've looked it up, so hit me with the facts. Well, Hector answered it. Is is the Rams penalty issue an issue? Well, yeah, the the penalty issue is an issue. The, here here's what I'd say that is more important isn't necessarily is the penalty issue an issue as Hector I think appropriately put it is the issue an issue yeah the issue is an issue the 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 bigger problem is Jeff Fisher literally said that there was a culture change being installed with the Rams he said he said that with a you know with a without being sarcastic he 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 meant he he literally looked people in the eye, in the media, in the Los Angeles media, that the, the media, and Josh, th this should mean something to you, the market that he's having to sell to, to say, here's the NFL team that you're getting in year one. Let, let me let me set the conditions for this. A and asked about the penalties, he said, yeah, I think we've got a culture change. A, cu a, a culture change, which tells you we've been horrible with penalties, but that was the past. What's coming in is a culture change, something completely different, as if he spent all kinds of time and effort uh, addressing this issue after four years, after 20 years of his career, having, having you know coached some of the most penalized teams in the NFL, that suddenly there's a culture change. There's a culture change. Why? Because they've moved to Los Angeles and everything is different now. And yet, here we are after three games, the same place that his teams have always been. Are, are the, is the penalty issue an issue? Of course it is, Hector. You know it is. The, the question is, why and you, is anybody... And, and Hector, you thought I was the biggest asshole so far. <laughs> no, but he's right. Here's the question is... Not, not is the penalty issue is still an issue. Why can't we get a legitimate answer from Jeff Fisher as to why it's an acceptable product of his system? It, the, the, the part of the problem is that it gets framed in the, this light of, well, when are you going to fix it? It's not getting fixed. It's not. It's never going to get. This isn't something that gets fixed under Jeff Fisher. This is a permanent component of his football system. And so instead of saying, Jeff Fisher, Jeff Fisher, do you think this is going to fix? What are you guys doing to address this? Do you think this was this? Which calls did you disagree with from the league? For 20 years, he's had to disagree with calls. One the of these days, this? Jeff Fisher is going to walk out there and he's going to pull a Jose Mourinho and go, minute 54, minute, uh, minute six in second period. 
He's done no. that. He, 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 well, he hasn't done it with the panache and the, the personality that Jose Mourinho has, but he's still done the same thing where he's pointed out specific penalties that he not only disagreed with the league with, but that he ultimately got you know approval from the league that they were the wrong calls. That's not the point. It's that somehow other teams don't get called for those penalties. Other teams don't necessarily have to get all these calls rescinded. His teams consistently – again, Josh, we're talking about 20-plus years in the NFL. This isn't a small sample size, and, it, and I don't mean this just to you, but also to Hector and everybody else listening. This isn't yeah. – this isn't – this isn't an aberration. This is 20 years of football. This is part of his system. And the, the, one of the things we need to frame from the media is not, Coach, how do you address this? How do you get this fixed? But explain why you're okay with this because obviously you are. This is this is part of Rams football. This is part of Jeff Fisher football. You coach around this. You don't coach to negate this. And because you do, just explain why you're comfortable with this. That's the difference. It's not is the penalty issue an issue. The penalty issue is a feature. The question is why it is. I really like that. I think that's a very thoughtful response and and – uh, it's also very, very academic in its nature because there, there, there is or there does seem to be a functionality to what Jeff Fisher does with penalties. And, and it could be that he wants to set the tone as being the most physical team in the game. And in order to do that, you take some penalties here and there. And, and if teams know that they're going to get their ass thrown on the ground one way or the next every time they come and play the Rams, uh, then, yeah, there could be an intimidation factor. The problem with the penalties thus far, and we'll move on after this to the next question because, you know, we're running short on time, so we got to get to more questions. The problem with the penalties thus far is that the winning hasn't happened. So... If it is part of the philosophy, yeah, I think you're right. Explaining it would go a long way toward, you know, anything, Justifying. really. Yeah. Justifying why it's a part of the system. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So the last two questions well, about – me, Let me offer this. One last, one last thought is, is that one of the random benefits that we don't really talk about often – and this is something good, you know, for USC fans like yourself, Josh, to think about. Is that one of the one of the benefits we have as Rams fans is that Jeff Fisher has one of the longest sample sizes of anybody in football. This is a man with twenty plus years of coaching experience in the NFL. So the sample size that we're talking about, it may not match up to baseball, it may not match up to any other sport, but for the purposes of football, you almost don't get a sample size bigger than this. And so when, when you talk about penalties and how it affects the output of his offense and his overall team performance. Yeah, well, there's just almost nobody else that you get with with this many games. Remember, Jeff Fisher is within one season of becoming the the coach with the most losses in the history of the NFL. You know, we're saying, talking about outside a, of college, yeah. guys like Joe Pa, Bobby Bowden, sure. you just don't see that anymore. But. 
that's the sample size that you're talking about. It's that level of sample size for the NFL. You don't see NFL coaches with the head coaching experience of Jeff Fisher unless they're incredibly successful. So it's very rare to see somebody like this where you can have these criticisms, whether it's penalties or whatever else we're talking about, and say, after 20 years, we can validate this. I think part of the problem is that you still get people pushing back against this, and that's part of what has kept Jeff Fisher so uh, tenured and, and, and confident uh, in his approach is that he, he knows and we should know that there's always going to be a vein of supporters out there no matter what happens. On that note, how do you see the Rams finishing their four games before their week eight bye? Uh, I, I mean, it's tough. It depends. I, I don't think this game is the big game that determines that. The Rams only have one more game before the bye at the Coliseum, and that's Buffalo. I, th- I think that's the bigger game. If, if they lose that game, the one game that they've got a home advantage, it, there, there's reason to think that things are going to get tough for the Rams. And they, and they have in years past. Remember, the Rams finished 4-8 and eight to start uh, last year before cleaning things up at the end. Um you know, you, you go back to that Seattle game. I, I think the home advantage played played a big part. Um, you know, we had guys at that game, and they said that the, the environment was uh, impactful and, and profound. And, and there's reason to think that that's going to be – and we've talked about this before, Josh, the impact of Los Angeles on Rams football. Um, yeah. You know, I, I think that's that that's going to be something we have to investigate more in the second half than the first, only because you've got two home games at the Coliseum before the bye. And because of that, I don't know that the Arizona – remember, the Rams haven't gone 2-1 and one in, under Jeff Fisher before, so the fact that they have, if they drop this game to go 2-2, two and two, I think things still look okay. But they come home to face Buffalo at home, and that's a more pivotal game. And then obviously – the couple they get after that and coming out of that against Carolina. Who knows? We'll have to see. But, uh, you know, you, you get, here's what I'd say. The Rams have an opportunity in front of them. Too often what we've dealt with is these lowered expectations of, well, they can just survive and go 2-2, two 3-3. and two, three you and three. we'd get sued if we just played that lowered expectations clip from <laughs> – Lowered expectations. Well, exactly. It's never too soon. These are the Rams, and that's part of the problem is that you just get. I'm saying, do you think we would get sued? (laughs) I just saw Ndamukong Sue play play the ball relatively well, so I'm assuming you don't mean that in a uh, metaphorical sense. I don't think we would. I'm down to I'm down to roll with some lower expectations. Uh, if anything, you could just go with the, uh, you know, Price is Right. Wah, 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 bah. Lucio, you're on lowered expectations. Find it, turn it into an audio clip. Por favor, sir. A- anything, a- anything you could do to, you know, uh, enforce the idea that the Rams, they're, they're not operating on the same level of expectations as successful teams in the league. And the, the relocation hasn't done anything to change that. You know, the Rams are 2-1. and one. If they lose this game at Arizona, I don't expect the fan base to be apoplectic. Whereas 
Arizona at one and two, if they win this game, they're still going to be like, okay, we got a ton of work to do. I don't know that the Rams are in the same place. As as long as they win that game against Buffalo, they can go three and two and lose a couple more games and end up four and five and still be in the same place they've been, which has been comfortable enough for them. I, I they think lose it's unfortunate. this game though. Well, you know, here's what I'd say is that that. Part, what we talked about earlier, when, when you asked about the offense, what was the question is, is the offense showing signs of improvement? Is that is that we're, we're asking this in year five, right? Coming coming off of a season in which the Rams had the worst offense in the league, is that we're still asking, is the offense so, showing signs of improvement? Well, put a pin in that. The- put a pin in that. Put a pin in that because <laughs> we've got two questions that are basically tailored for you. Sure. Okay. So let me ask this next one, and then we're going to come right back to that. Okay, yep. this one's pretty simple, uh, and it comes from Mario, who wants to know, any chance we see Nelson Spruce and Farrell Cooper this Sunday? Sure. I mean, they're, they're active participants. I, if, if I had to guess, I'd think we see EJ Gaines uh, coming back into the cornerback's position, as well as, you know, two wide receivers and Nelson Spruce and Farrah Cooper. I don't think the question is, do we see them back? What I think the bigger question is, what are the roster moves that correspond with that? And that's what I don't know. It, you know, you know, Troy Hill has jumped ahead of Cody Sensabaugh. You got two wide receivers and a cornerback coming I've in. Already said, you, I've, I've already tossed my hat in the ring of I think Cody Sensabaugh is about to get cut. He, well, he's going to be the obvious one because they already shed Steve Williams. I think the question is when you bring those guys in, who shuffles down to special teams and then who makes the next drop thereafter? This isn't a problem that they've had to deal with thus far, so I'm eager to see where they go from here. But, yeah, the chances, obviously, I'd say above 50% because all of them are full participants at this <laughs> point in practice. Well, Rams fans, we want to let you know, and when we post this, uh, Joe – I'm going to need your help, but we'll put a little... We'll edit that yep. out. Pumpkin spice. Don't. Don't edit it. That's, that's <laughs> fault. It's autumn coming in, man. Uh, Rams fans, we want your opinion on who you think is going to be the man dropped. When we post this... Uh, Early tomorrow, we're going to include, and Joe, I'll need your help on this because I know not how to include a poll, but we're going to create a poll in there, and uh, you let us know who you think the uh, the, the likeliest people are to, to get the boot from the Rams. But we are now going to move on to Joe's favorite subject because we have already gone on way too long and this is going to take a while because once you get Uh-oh. Joe started on this subject, you cannot <laughs> stop him. He is an immovable force. All right, so Chris and Hillary both kind of had the same question, which I'm going to wrap up. Hillary, Hillary, hold on. Hil- wait, what are we talking about here? Uh, well, not that Hillary. Uh, should the offense struggle once again on Sunday? Will Fisher make the change to Mannion or Goff? And then we have, uh, if the Rams are two and five come the bye week, will the team pull the trigger on firing Fish, uh, Jeff Fisher, or will he finish the season? And that comes from so. 
Yeah, the first question, and thank you for Hillary and Donald for weighing in. Uh, appreciate you guys taking the time to, you know, deal with us. Although I, I'd say you need to get some rest. Obviously, you guys are dealing with a lot right now. Um, you know, th- there's nothing in the immediate future that's going to change the quarterback position for the Rams. They're again, they're two and one. This is better than they've done under Jeff Fisher. So the fact that Case Keenum isn't providing great statistics or anything, that doesn't really change anything. This is the best outcome that they've gotten in the win-loss column, and uh, there's no reason to, uh, you know, abdicate what they've been doing on offense because of that. And so there's nothing to change that, at least before the bye. Two and five, moving forward, does anything change? That I don't know, and I think that's one of those things that we haven't gotten a great sense of is what are the demands on Jeff Fisher? What what, what does Stan Kroenke and Kevin Demoff need to see that they haven't gotten from? I don't know. Yeah, we don't I, even I, know if the plan is to fully sit him for the year and go back to the old school because Fish is an old school guy. There is every possibility that that uh, Goff will not see a snap this year. He's going to sit. He's going to learn. And honestly, he will be better for it in the long run. These types of things do help quarterbacks. And honestly, I think that the NFL should go back to that system. I realize that we're not in a patience is a virtue society any longer we're in instant gratification but when you look at the success rate of guys who took over following their you know uh the guy they sat under moving on you routinely saw success on some level i mean joe joe montana moves on steve young takes over well that's not a bad you know i mean it's sort of like brett uh, Brett Favre moving on and Aaron Rodgers taking over. Oh, look, and that, that worked. Yeah, that was the model. And so, you know, I, I, I get the idea. Look, that's definitely the era that Jeff Fisher is coming from. I think the, the problem is that most coaches don't get the opportunity to get five years of, or well, let's say, let's be honest, four most years. Most coaches of don't have Stan Kroenke as an owner. That's that's exactly that's exactly right. They don't get four years of losing football to be able to wait and then draft a quarterback. They they don't get that opportunity. Uh, mo- most coaches in the NFL, most administrations, have to provide results sooner rather than later, and so they don't get the cushion of being able to develop in the in the case of the Rams cornerbacks and running backs and, and then wait to fill in a bunch of other pieces as they feel comfortable we don't know what the conditions are for Jeff Fisher for this year we've had rumors of a contract extension going back to the end of last regular season before they even before the NFL even approved relocation right so it, it wasn't even something that was tied to Los Angeles it was something that was tied to this franchise where we had uh, reports that Jeff Fisher was likely to receive some kind of contract extension, uh, regardless of what happened on the uh, on the relocation front. So I, I, don't, I don't know that it has anything to do with results and, and you know, to whatever end the uh, traditional media serves, um, we haven't really gotten a good sense of, 
what permeates the consciousness of Stan Kroenke and Kevin Dimoff to say, here's here's what we want moving forward. And let's be honest, Josh, 2019 with the you know the first season in a new stadium. And, you know, a new era of Los Angeles Rams football moving forward, that looms larger than anything. And you have to question how much these three seasons really matter to the franchise. And I don't have an answer to that. And I don't think any of us do. And it may be one of those things that we don't get an answer until we're looking at it in hindsight. But as it stands right now, I have no clue what kind of demands are on the current administration in terms of performance. And uh, I don't know that we'll get one until it's all over. Yeah, there's, there's really no way to know. And until you have that kind of information, it's, it's, I would even go as far as to say it's irresponsible to venture a guess on that because you're basically, that's what it is. You're venturing a guess and passing it then off as information. Um, So I'll end this with sort of an easy one on the listener questions segment, and then we'll wrap up with a couple things that I have for you. But Alma wants to know if you got a bold prediction on Sunday's game. Um, you know, my game prediction, I would refer everybody to the staff predictions where we put our game predictions and I cite uh, this year. So in years past, we got some new uh, readers and listeners, obviously. In years past, I've cited famous poets or famous rappers or famous uh, whatever. In this year, I'm citing uh, uh, passages from some of my favorite authors. And so I just uh, put a passage from David Foster Wallace in uh, – uh, one of his favorite short essays, I guess you would say, that I appreciate. And quoted Anais Nin or Anais Nin earlier in the season. So if you want to go see my game prediction, that's there. If if I have a bold prediction, uh, my bold prediction would that would be that this is a blowout on the lines of what we saw in Week One. Uh, that the Cardinals at home with all the motivation put everything together. That Carson Palmer puts together a uh, uh, a performance of years past of somebody who's, you know, of his age, not the kind of quarterback that we associate uh, in the modern NFL, uh, and that the Rams coming off of two wins don't have much going. And it, the thing is, I don't think it's the Rams' fault. I just think they're in a position where they just don't have a lot clicking. Uh, I, You know, they, they get the touchdowns in week three that, that, that colors everything and reshapes a lot of what they were doing on offense. But the entirety of the offense just still looks too uh, inconsistent and discombobulated. And I think the opportunity to put that together in Arizona is not uh, one that I'm expecting much positivity from. It's unfortunate because as 2-1, and one, you want to say, yeah, we're going 3-1. and one. We're setting up this run into the bye, which obviously sets up a playoff run. I just don't see that as being where the Rams are. My poem for you would be half a league. Half a league, half a league onward, all in the valley of death, rode the 600. Forward the light brigade, charge for the guns, he said. Into the valley of the death, rode the 600. How much blindside you been watching, man? Actually, dude, I didn't need to know that. Blind, you act like blindside introduced me to Lord Alfred Tennyson. I got, hey, dude, I can go Kublai Khan, man. Come on, man. Uh, but uh, 
what I want to do is I want to move on and ask just real briefly here, because like I said, we're, we're coming up on an hour and a half here. Um, I'm, I'm going to skip the upcoming schedule and injury report because everything seems to be okay on that front unless I'm missing something. Or until we find something out tomorrow. Yeah, true. All right, but what I do want to ask is, does the card slow start? Uh, does this surprise you? Say that again, my bad. Did, does the card slow start surprise you? Uh, not entirely. I mean, I, here's what I'd say is that the, the Patriots result doesn't surprise me because of the Patriots. And Cardinals came out in one week two. And the conditions of week three, having to go to a Buffalo team that was desperate and motivated, the fact that they weren't able to get a result. Now, the manner in which they maybe lost the Buffalo game surprised, uh, I think, a lot of people, myself included. But the fact that they lost that game isn't all that surprising. So the, the, the fact that they're one and two isn't maybe the problem. It's how they lost week three that's maybe more of a problem for Arizona. And I think that's, that's the real issue for the Rams is that the performance that the Cardinals put in was – uh, more uh, indicative of something wrong than the result, right? If they if they had lost the game in a different way, maybe things weren't as dire in Arizona. But the way that they lost it, I think certainly you have to say, you know, something isn't perfect. And because of that, they, they got to come into week four saying, look, we got to fix this now. And with Bruce Arians, you assume that, they're going to get that done, and they, you know, I, 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 I don't know that that Arizona's panicking at one and two. This is a team that's had success in recent years, and when you've got success, you you have a way to adjust to a one and two start in the way that the Rams haven't the last four years, right? Let's be blunt: the Rams started one and two the last four years and ended up outside the playoffs. Arizona's been to the playoffs. Maybe they have some insight as to what they can do to turn things around that the Rams haven't experienced. And uh, I think that's the real difference is that until you get there, there's no reason to think that you've learned anything from it because you haven't been in that position. And that's, that's the real problem for the Rams is that they're going into Phoenix to face a team that's uh, – Seen some, seen some hardships and seen some uh, difficulty in being able to come on top of it with a result. Well, well, now you perfectly set up on a team. My next question for you, and that's how badly does this Cardinals team strike fear into the heart of you and your very fiber of being? Fear zero, and that's because the rain. That's the that's the benefit of Fisher Bowl is that there is no fear that that you can face the Seahawks and the 49ers when they were going to NFC championships and the Cardinals when they're you know top five or top ten in the power rankings. The, the Rams can compete with the best of teams in the NFL. That the, there's no fear. And especially when you look at the Rams' defensive line, there's no reason to have fear. It's uh, the the problem isn't fear about facing the best teams. The problem is, do you have confidence in the consistency of eliminating uh, inconsistent opponents? And that's not what we get this week. This is that's not the question for this week. This week is, do do you 
have the capability to summon a performance against stronger teams. The Rams absolutely do. Do they have the consistency to, to summon the performance against weaker teams? No, and that's what we've got to deal with over the next four weeks going into the bye, and uh, that'll be what we have to deal with then. But for this week, there's no fear. There's absolutely no fear against the Cardinals, and the Rams have gotten results against them in year past. Yeah, and the Rams certainly haven't had problems. They're, you know, you look at the NFC West, and, and we've said this so many times and, and probably will continue to say it, that the Rams find ways to, to get wins against opponents that maybe they shouldn't. And, and looking at yeah. the schedules, you would think that – maybe the Rams might be slight favorites going into this game, but you and well, I, you and I are smart enough to know that that shouldn't be the case. Um, but what I want to, to end this podcast on is this. Now that the Rams have shown you that they can win multiple ways, does that encourage you coming in to the game against the Cardinals? So sadly, no. And yeah. the reason is, we, well, we've seen that in years past. We, we've seen, you go back to 2013, the Rams uh, found a way to get these kind of results. And this is, this is not the problem. And you saw it in week two against uh, Seattle. This is not the problem. The, the NFC West, uh, you know, top 10 teams, the, this is not what challenges the Rams. The, the challenge for the Rams is consistency. Um, and that comes after this game. Now, what I'd say is the Rams do themselves a hell of a lot of benefit by winning this game and giving themselves a three-in-one cushion going into that stretch because you you know they're going to drop games they're in. And if they can go up three-in-one, where obviously they haven't been because they haven't been two-in-one in years. I think it's been since 2006 since they've been uh, that far up going into middle of October. If they can start three and one, you know, dropping games, you're going to still be in that Rams central uh, area uh, heading into November. And if, if that's the position you're in, I think the benefit is you've only got two games at the Coliseum before the bye. Josh, you got a ton of L.A. football coming out of it. And and in year one in Los Angeles, if you can set up a position where Unlike being four and eight a year ago, if you're maybe six and six or five and five or whatever it is around there, and maybe you get the opportunity to lean into a home crowd, maybe that maybe that's the thing that can help the Rams. It's not necessarily that they need to do anything this week or against the Cardinals or against teams that they've seen before that uh, provide the same kind of result. It's that you've got this dynamic new home market that they haven't really tested into late season and obviously with the preseason in the first month uh that's not necessarily indicative of anything that they're going to be dealing with it's what do you get from los angeles in november and december uh that we haven't really answered and maybe maybe that's what uh, gets set up in this next week well it's certainly going to be exciting to see man and if the rams hit three and one the next week's podcast is going to open up with cool and the gang um I, you know, you you set the table for Cool in the Gang being acceptable, so now I'm going to hit that celebrate good times. Come on! Well, it's a little... 
It's a little. Don't well, I'm glad. Up, hey, screw it. Hey, Josh, you celebrated two and one. Celebrate good times, man. Two and one's a good reason to celebrate. No, I said if they win next week. Josh, we're two and one. Come on. Do you remember? <laughs> we were two and one in September. Come on. Yes, but if they <laughs> win against the Cardinals, oh, they yeah. were three and one. We had Johnny Hacker. Oh, we are planting in September. Wow, this podcast is really devolved. Don't blame me. I blame you. Upcoming events. What do we got? Uh, We're going to close out all the preview reads for everything we got going to Arizona game. Q&A. I got all the answers from uh, Revenge of the Birds. It's the site you want to go to for coverage for the Arizona Cardinals this year. Uh, Waiting to see if they got questions for us and how we're going to deal with it. But obviously we're going to have content on the site. Preview in Arizona Cardinals. Preview in week four. Uh... Look for a film room preview. Uh, obviously, anything from Derek Klassen is going to be uh, top-notch because he's going into the tape and examining the X's and O's. Um, an- another thing to look for that I'm going to start ratcheting up because I haven't done it to this point and it's getting to where it warrants it is college uh, review. Um, great week <laughs> great week coming uh, for college football. And, and despite the fact that Rams don't have a first-round pick, it's still something that we need to pay attention to because it affects the NFL, it affects the NFC West. And to be honest, I love it, and so screw it. I'm going to just cover it anyway. Um, great college coverage that's going to be coming up. And, uh, you know, going into a week, a week like this, the, the pressure's not. You got Florida State. You got Wisconsin, Michigan. That's a huge one. And obviously yeah. Clemson. Louisville. Clemson Louisville is going to be the Oklahoma TCU should be interesting in some way, shape, or form. Well, it's interesting because it's not what it was two months ago. Here, here's what I'd say for the Rams going into a game that turns September into October. There's a lot of ways this could be worse, and we've seen them. The Rams haven't gone two and one in years. The Stand fact that they're you, right you dub man. Hey, that that's the kind of game that re that that. That can reset the West Coast. That's the kind of that's the kind of game that can reset West Coast college football for a while. Um, we, Josh, you know this. We could do a whole we could do a whole college football podcast. You know I could. Oh. Um, what I, what I'd say for the Rams is, we, the, the Rams haven't been two and one under Jeff Fisher. It's been a hell of a long time since they've had an opportunity like this. Uh, if you take a look at the college landscape, the NFL landscape. There, there's so many factors changing things that we aren't used to, and you know this as a USC fan. There's a lot of uh, uncharted territory. It doesn't it doesn't mean that things get worse. It just means that we don't know how things work out from here. And for the Rams going into Phoenix to face a, a one and two Arizona Cardinals team, I, I think if anything, if there's a takeaway, it's that what we don't know and what we might not learn uh, even from this game sets up answers down down the road and that's part of what that's part of the fun of football is that you, it takes a while to get some of these answers and if if the rams take a couple more weeks if it takes them to get to the bye and even coming out of the bye to answer that so be it but it's going to be a it's going to be a fun ride for year one in los angeles no doubt uh and heading out of this game with the buffalo contest at the coliseum I, I don't know if there's a more fun game on the schedule for that for the Rams because this is the chance to really uh, 
to put a marker on the board for the 2016 Los Angeles Rams. And on that note, why don't you hit them with some hit us with some social media handles, and then I will close us out. Yep, hit us up, uh, Josh. Fight on Twist. Um, hit us up at the site though. If you hit us up at Tertio Times on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and obviously on the site TertioTimes.com, uh, we're gonna find a way to get it down to you. We've got uh, people in charge of Twitter. Facebook, Instagram, on the site, whatever it is, we're gonna get it to the podcast. So, like, like Josh showed you tonight, if you get, if you guys get us the questions, we gonna try to get them. Yeah, on twelve it. questions, man. Most shows wouldn't do that, but here at Turf Show Times, we said screw up because we've been asking and asking and asking for listener questions, and it's been slow going. But tonight, it rained. Well, that's the thing, you know. We do we do it for the fans, and we just got to organize what's coming in from all these different groups, from Twitter, from Facebook, from Instagram, and, and we're there. And, and so, I, th- I think the good thing is that we can uh, uh, put these things all together, and hopefully, you know, the Rams can put it all together. And, and maybe there's a chance that moving now. Here's the big question, Josh: is when we go from 12 questions to 16 questions, to 20 questions, to 30 questions. What do we do? Do we do a do we do a, th- a three hour podcast of forty five questions from Rams fans for the eight? Yes, one? we do a listener. <laughs> we do a listener yeah. appreciation yes. day special. Hey, I'm down. We may have and, to do it Facebook and we, Live, and we reserve the right if we do that to answer all questions with snark, and then a very appropriate answer that answers your question. But if we're gonna sit, if we're gonna sit there and listen to 45, 50 questions all day, there's no way we can do that without at least having a little fun. So if you can hang with us occasionally making fun of your question, we will answer it seriously. Make you that promise. It's a deal. Look at you, professional and respectful. I love it. It's good stuff, man. After, so after we're unprofessional. Yeah, well, and that's what makes social radio fun. Is that uh. You know, it's for Rams fans, it's by Rams fans, and in the end, uh, there's nobody else uh, left because, hey, as we've seen the last couple of seasons, in the end, there's nothing but us Rams fans left. All right. Well, uh, on that note, I am going to close this out of here. I am Josh Webb. He is the main man, Joe McAtee. And we will be back next time for a review of the upcoming game between the Cards and the Rams. That one will be hosted by your boy 3K. It will get recorded this time, and having done so, uh, it will finally, finally make the air, and the Lost Podcast will become a thing of the past. So I want to thank everybody for listening. Keep it right here at Turf Show Times and SB Nation for all your everything needs. If you have a team out there, SB Nation has some great people covering it. So find it, find them, make a connection, make a friend, and make a home, man. We'll catch you next time. We out.
Hello, I'm Ashley Carmen. I'm Caitlin Tiffany. We're the hosts of Why'd You Push That Button, the Verge's show about all the choices technology forces us to make. We're back for season three, talking about questions like, why do you delete your tweets? And why do you type in lowercase letters that make you seem like a serial killer? And why are you on an exclusive dating app? You're not that special. We're releasing a new episode every Wednesday, and you can find us anywhere you typically find podcasts, which is Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts. So go ahead and subscribe and check us out.